Let's go ahead and open with prayer for the message. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you, to worship as a body, and to just seek your face and to see what you would have us to see. Guide us and lead us as we follow this. In your son's name, amen. Okay, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 still. We're going to read a lot of, uh, uh, yeah, a lot of verses, mostly because I don't plan to get through with all these verses, but this is one of these places where Paul writes a very long run-on sentence. Uh, his, this one sentence goes on for seven verses. And I'm sitting here last night trying to figure out where I'm going to break this sentence up. And I figure we're just going to start, we're going to read the whole sentence and then we're going to go until we, God says to stop and then we'll stop. But we won't finish all 17 verses because there's just way too much in here. But Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard of it, have not ceased to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of the will of, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created and in, that are in heaven that are, and that are in earth, Visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. For, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. That is all one long sentence. Uh, how would you like to be sitting under Paul's teaching? You know, he'll give you, you know, we know in Acts that he spoke one time to, to midnight, and the poor, poor guy fell asleep in the window and fell out of the third floor window and had to be resurrected. Uh, you know, quite an embarrassing. And then they went right back up and had more church. And so, you know, after six hours of preaching, Paul kept going. So uh, I, would, I would love to be in a church where we could go for six hours with no problem. I don't want anybody sitting in the windows falling out, though. <laughs> so, but we're going to look at this verse, and it, because we did verse 9 last week. We're going to in verse 10. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Walk worthy to become Christ-like in your walk, not just your everyday activities. And we've talked many times a Christian needs to stand out as a Christian. And we hear it all the time. The world will say the church is filled with hypocrites. Now, that's an excuse for the lost world to not come to church. We, we understand that. But the sad thing is that the church is, unfortunately, filled with a lot of people who say they're a Christian and don't live a Christ-like life out in the world. Now, we know that we're not perfect. We never will be perfect. But, you know, it does sometimes bother me when I see somebody, they say they're a Christian, and then if you saw them outside of church, you would go, how important is God to you? So we're going to look at this real quick. I'm just going to go through some verses. If you've got a piece of paper or something, write them down and look them over. What does it mean to walk in a worthy manner. 
In Revelation 21:21, it says that we are to walk in the light of this truth. Christians are to walk in the light of truth. What is truth? The Word of God. As you're studying and reading the Word of God, you're going to be taught by the Word how to walk. Now, the thing about this is we can read the Bible, and we encourage you to read the Bible. But if all you're doing each morning is reading your two, three chapters plus a chapter in the New Testament, you're probably wasting your time. If all you're doing is reading it as if you were reading the newest novel that's out, you're not doing much good. Now, God's word does not return void, so it's better than reading, reading the novel. You're filling your mind with his word. But when we read his word, we need to be saying, God, what is it I'm to learn? You know, the most important thing for us to learn to, when we're reading is to pray. God, open my eyes and show me what you want me to see today. And then apply it to your life. Otherwise, it's just an exercise in reading, reading another book. In John, 3 John, verse 4, it says, walk in truth. Again, who is that? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So we're walking in Jesus Christ, his word, his truth, the word of God. We're to walk in truth. Now, how does that mean that we're going to be different? Well, how many times have you been in a situation where you had to make a decision? Do I do what's right before God, or do I live like the rest of the world? Do I tell the truth in this situation, or do I tell a little fib <laughs> to try to keep myself out of trouble? Now, how many of us, when we were raising kids, told our kids, if you just tell the truth, you're in less trouble than if you lie? Wouldn't it be wonderful? Isn't it wonderful that we as adults outgrow the, I, the desire to tell lies? <laughs> You know, now kids fight over toys all the time, and it's so wonderful that we as adults grow up out of that covetousness and that selfishness. You know, and I say that, of course, tongue-in-cheek, because we may do it correctly and not make it seem as bad, but don't we do the same thing? Our best friend just got a brand new car, and it's like, wow, we really need a brand new car. My car works just perfectly fine. It's only, it's only three years old, but man, I need a car just like they have. You know, uh, so-and-so just got promoted. I need, a, I need a better job. You know, we do this even as adults, don't we? You know, we think, you know, we, we think back, you know, we need to kind of think back to what are the things we said to our kids and apply them to our own life sometimes to, to help them understand. How many of you have ever told your kids when you were growing up, uh, well, whoever that is, tell them I'm not home? Uh-huh. We all laugh because we probably all have done that at some point in time. We teach them, you always tell the truth, and then we tell them to lie. You know, I, I love it when, you, when you're dealing with little kids. You tell them not to speak to strangers, and then when you're walking them around, you go, well, why don't you say hello to this person? You know, we tell mixed messages to our kids all the time, and yet we do the same thing. We taught our kids how they're supposed to act, and then we don't act the same way. God's saying we're to walk in truth in 1 John, uh, 3 John 4. In 2 John 6, it says, walk in his commandments. Do you realize God gives us a lot of commandments? <laughs> okay. Now, it's kind of an amazing thing that we treat most of God's commandments as maybe good ideas. God says, to tell the truth all the time, well, God, that's a really good idea. I'll think, of, I'll think about doing it. The Ten Commandments become the Ten Suggestions. You know, well, maybe I'll think about obeying them. How about this one? Go into all the world 
make disciples. Most of us, that's a suggestion, and in, Hebrew, in the Greek, it is a command. It's something we are to do. We are to love one another. We are to make disciples. We are to come together in fellowship with one another. We are to provoke one another unto love and good works. You know, all these things that we're commanded to do, and yet so often we go, God, maybe I'll think about doing some of those things if I feel like it. Now, how often do you feel like doing the right thing in most cases? How often do our kids feel like doing the right thing that we're telling them to do? It's the discipline that teaches them to do what we want them to do. So if you want to live by your feelings, be ready to have God disciplining you a lot. If you want to start obeying him, you can have a lot less discipline. Now, it's a pretty simple, pretty simple fact because we do the same thing with our kids. How often does the compliant child get disciplined? Not all that often. Why? Because they do what you want them to do, at least in your sight. <laughs> now, that strong-willed child gets disciplined all the time because they want to do things their way, and they're, and they're determined that they're going to outlast you. And the sad thing in today's world is many times that self-willed child does outlast the parent, and they end up being even worse. But we're not going to outlast God. We're to live in his commandments. In Ephesians 5.15, it says we're to walk accurately in his word. Now, this is kind of an interesting thing because have you ever been in a Bible study or something and somebody has taught you what the Bible says and you're thinking, well, that's not what I've always believed. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of inaccurate beliefs about the Bible. There's a lot of inaccurate things said about the Bible, not only by the world, but by Christians oftentimes. Have you ever heard that money is the root of all evil? You know, people will swear that that's in the Bible, but the verse literally says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is inanimate. Money is neither good nor bad. But when you have this great inordinate love for money, that leads you to a lot of bad decisions. That will lead you to things like I did when I was young, being a workaholic, working 80 hours a week and never being around the family. Why? Because I was trying to earn my, earn my paycheck and do a good job for the company. Had good reasons, bad reasons, but they seemed good to me at the time. We're to live accurately to the word of God, which means you have to study the word of God to really know what it is that is being said. And I've told you all many times, I, I hope in this church we have good Bereans that people will go and say, whatever they hear, they're going to go in and they're going to check the Bible and make sure that what they hear is true. Paul, Paul praised the Bereans. You're going, you guys check the scriptures diligently to prove what he was saying. And if they had to, you know, Paul is who we read. And the Bereans were going in to say, is he being accurate according to the scriptures? The good news about the scriptures is there's no contradictions. Okay? No contradictions in the scriptures. I've been studying them for over 40 years, and there's no contradictions in the scriptures. I haven't found one yet. So if you're ever talking to somebody and they go, well, I just can't believe that book. There's so many contradictions. I've told you the very thing you need to do to them is tell, say, tell me 
one. Give me one contradiction. And what they're going to tell you is, well, there's lots of them. No, no, don't tell me there's lots of them. Tell me one. Well, I've been told, no, not what have you been told, you know, because there's too many people out there. They're living under the lie that this book is not trustworthy. And they're, and they're living under that lie because they have never searched it out. It's an amazing fact that everybody who has ever gone to search out to try to disprove Christianity in the Bible, they end up being a Christian. Now, the newest one is, uh, his name jumped right out of my head. Hmm? Well, no. Anyway, the Tribune writer that just uh, wrote his big book, Case for Christ, Lee Strobel. You know, he decided he was going to disprove to his wife that Christianity was absolutely 100% false and he became a Christian. In my day and age, you know, when I was younger, it was Josh McDowell. He went out to disprove the Bible because all of his friends in college were, you know, they were telling him that it was a true book and no contradiction. So he's going, oh, I'm, going to, I'm going to show them. I'm going to disprove it. Ended up being a Christian. Uh, you know, we see this over and over again. The Bible is so accurate, no contradictions. Don't be afraid to challenge people when they tell you these things. When they tell you that there's contradictions, ask them for one. And be ready to deal with them because there's no contradictions if they do a little bit of research. But they're going to tell you, well, I've been told. Well, yeah, a lot of people have been told. So we want to be walking accurately. Ephesians 5.2 says that we're to walk in love. Sacrificial love one for another. That does not mean that whatever somebody does, we say, oh, it's okay because I love you. That is not love. Okay? No parent loves their children so much that they're going to let the children play in the middle of the freeway during rush hour. Okay, well, I love my child. I can't tell them no. All right, so you don't let your child get killed. You don't love your child. Love will bring about correction. But it comes about in a gentle way. And we all know what it means to be corrected without love. You know, you get without love, that person kind of makes you feel terrible and you feel like you've been beat up. But you know, sometimes when somebody corrects you in love, you don't even realize what's going on until after the fact and you go, wow, that person just kind of gave me a lot of information. You know, they kind of gave me a spanking and I didn't even really know what, what was going on at the time. Because love says, I care so much for you that I don't want you hurt. So we want to be walking in his love. Ephesians 4.1 says that we're to walk worthy of his call. What is our call? To be his child. Have you ever realized that? If you are a Christian, you are a child of God. And you are the bride of Christ. We're to walk worthy of that calling. What does it mean to be a child? You know, my dad hammered it into my head so many years. You're a Wells, and this means certain things. That when somebody hires you, they're going to get a good worker, and this, that, and the other thing. If we're to be worthy of the name of Christ, what does that mean to us? What does it mean to walk worthy of Christ, worthy of God? It doesn't mean going out and getting drunk every night. It doesn't mean going out and committing fornication every night. It means walking in the truth of God's word. 
Walking in a way that people look and say, now that's how a Christian should live. Now, we know that when that person speaks, they're speaking the truth. We can trust them. When they say something, they're going to do it. When they say something, I know that it's true. The worst thing for a Christian would be to get the reputation of a liar. Now, now that would be a terrible place to be. But we are to walk worthy of the call. We are the king's children. And think about what this means as a king. Princes and princesses were always held to a higher standard than everybody else. Even in the elite of the rich that have been rich for a long time, there's a certain reputation their children are supposed to have. Now, we know they don't all have that reputation. They're supposed to carry themselves in a respectable way that doesn't bring shame to the family name. Now, in our day and age, pretty much it's like, okay, you do what you want, and we'll pay, you know, we'll buy you out of trouble, and that's not the way it used to be. It used to be if you had a name, you wanted to protect your name, and your children were taught to protect your name. The law is called the tutor for us, and what the tutor did in the Greek day was the tutor went out with the men, uh, with the boys, and made sure that they stayed out of trouble. Okay, when they were being teased instead of fighting, they were to keep the boys away from the trouble. They were to keep them away from the temptations. They were to keep them out of trouble. That was the tutor's job. They also educated them, but when, they, when that child went out of the house, that tutor was with them everywhere they went. Okay, we would almost say chaperone. No, you're not going with those boys. No, you're not going into that building. No, you're not going there. You're not doing this because it will bring dishonor to your father's name. And this is what the law is for us. The law, God's law, is our tutor that says, you don't do these things if you want to be a child of God and live up to that call. Now, we know we're not going to do it perfectly. But the law is what convicts us. When we get ready to do something and all of a sudden we kind of go, oh, God, uh, I want to do this, and God puts a verse in your mind, and it's like, uh, well, I guess I don't want to do it, or am I going to be disobedient and do it anyway? And you get disobedient and you get spanked. <laughs> but we're to live according to his call. Galatians 5.25 says we're to walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. You know that when you become a Christian... The Spirit indwells you. And we've talked a few times about this. As a Christian, everywhere you go, you're bringing God into the middle of that situation. Now think about this. If you have a sin that besets you, every time you commit that sin, you're bringing God into the middle of your sin. And then you wonder why you're convicted and why there's not a lot of pleasure in that sin. When you're arguing with somebody because of your pride being hurt, you're bringing God into the middle of that argument. If you're walking in the middle of some sin, you're bringing God into the middle of it. We're to walk by the Spirit, listening to that still, small voice that says, walk this way. Most of us never hear God's Spirit because we're usually so busy doing our own thing that we don't slow down for a moment. And this is a hard thing to do for some of us, especially like myself. You know, one of the greatest things about Jesus is he'd be on the way to some place and he'd stop and minister. He's on the way to, to heal Jairus' daughter and he stops and ministers to a woman who has been bleeding for 20 years and heals her. He's on his way to Jerusalem and he stops 
and ministers to the woman at the well in Samaria. How many of us are willing to stop when we're on the way doing something? God, I'm really on my way. I'm, go I'm doing this for you, God. It's for you. And God says, but I had somebody over there that you walked right past. We need to slow down sometimes and just listen to the Spirit and minister and talk. We've got the tracks in the back, and I've challenged the people that took the evangelism class and this group here. Take some tracks with you when you go to the grocery store. And on your way out, as you're rushing to your car, give two or three of them out. Just as you pass people here, would you like one of these? And then run to your car and get in the car and leave. <laughs> I mean, if that's, all you, if that's all the braveness that you have is to pass out a track, you know, and we say that in, in jest, but I really mean it. If you get these tracks out in people's hands, and maybe eventually you'll be willing to actually talk to them because you find out they're not going to bite your head off just because you give them a track. You know, we need to be able to start doing that. We've got plenty of tracks back there, and if we run out of tracks, we'll get more. But if we could just get out to where we're giving each person in this church, giving out two or three tracks a week, you know, that's close to 100 tracks each week. 50 to 100 tracks every week. If we gave out 50 to 100 tracks every week, somebody's going to get saved. Somebody somewhere is going to get saved if we give out that many tracks. So I want to challenge you. Think about how can I follow this commandment of go? Go and reach others. Tracks are probably the easiest way to do it. If you're really too much afraid when you go to the doctor's appointment, take a track or two and leave it on the table. You know, leave it on the table of the where they put all the books. Somebody will pick it up. You know, but I'm challenging for us, how are we reaching people for Christ? As you find out that people aren't going to bite your head off, you're going to be more willing to ch just talk with them and share the gospel with them. But we're to walk in the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says we're to walk by faith. The just shall walk by faith not by sight. Most of the time, most of us walk by sight. God, this is the only way to do things. God, this looks like the best way to do things. You know, if we're walking in the flesh, we're walking in our sight, you're very rarely going to make the right decision for God. Why? Because oftentimes what God says doesn't make sense to us in our flesh. You know, God says, I want you to give 10% of your money to me. And people say, that's absolutely crazy. God, I can't live on the 100%. How am I going to live on 90%? God says that we're to go out and share the gospel with people. God, I'm, not, I'm just not that person. I'm a quiet person. I don't talk to people. God didn't ask you if you were quiet or shy. He said, go. God says, walk in the spirit. How do we do that? We become crucified in our flesh. Galatians 2.20, For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but I live by the, by the Christ who lives in me. You know, our flesh is to be crucified so that we will stand up and do what he wants. Jesus said, I'd only do the will of the Father. For his entire life, he did what the Father wanted him to do. Now, does that mean he just sat on a, in the corner of his room saying, okay, God, tell me what to do right this moment? No, he went about his business, but he listened for God to give him assignments. Have you ever stopped in the middle of doing something and had a God moment where you talked to somebody 
or you did something for somebody and you just knew that it was God. Being at the right place at the right time. You know, happened to me about a month and a half ago, two months ago, I went to Linda, a doctor's appointment and, and I sat there in the waiting room, totally bored, went out, you know, went out to the car and just happened to be needing, meet somebody that needed help. Just happened to meet them, be able to witness to them while I was talking to them. You know, but you know, so many times you get these God moments that just happen because you're listening. Now, I could have been not listening and just sat there in the waiting room and just kept sitting there. Be ready to listen. And I'm sure there's many times when I've just sat in the waiting room and not listened. <laughs> not figuratively, uh, literally, but figuratively. There's times when we get it right and there's times when we get it wrong. But the more we practice at it, the better off we're going to be at getting it right. In Romans 8.1, it says, There is no condemnation, therefore, to those who walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. Now, oftentimes we quote that verse, there's no condemnation. And kind of forget the second and third part. Okay? There's no condemnation if we're walking in the Spirit and not after the flesh. Now, if I want to walk after the flesh, God's going to say, you've got lots of problems. Now, I'm not going to be condemned if I'm saved because I'm going to go to heaven. But you know what? On this world, I'm not going to have the peace that I'm supposed to have because I'm living in sin. If you're living in sin, you will not have peace with God if you're his child. Because he will not let his children live in sin. And this is something you see and I've seen in my life. If I go out and I want to do something that's wrong, I will get convicted by the Holy Spirit. Now the conviction usually will keep me from doing it. But sometimes I keep blundering on into it. And then God says, okay, here you go. You know, here's, what's, here's the consequences for what you have done. There are always consequences for sin. And keep this in mind. Always consequence for sin. If you do something wrong, some sin, God will bring a consequence into your life. It's a sowing and reaping. Be ready if you want, if you choose to sin, and we always choose, we talk about falling into sin. You never really fall into sin. You could be at the wrong place at the wrong time, but you put yourself in the wrong place. You know, we don't fall into sin. Now, we can set up a long series of circumstances. We've talked about this in, in some of our evening services. How do some of these evangelists and pastors fall? You know, many of them have gone into adultery. And, you know, if you were to talk to them even a year, two years, three years before this all happened, she would probably tell you there is no way I would ever commit adultery. And I've shared with you all many times, if there's any thing in your life that you say, I will never do such and such, be very careful because that's exactly the place you will probably fall. Why? Because you don't put a guard on it. And Satan's very patient. These evangelists and, and pastors who fall to adultery, they felt, well, I'll never fall to adultery. And then they start doing stupid things. They hang out with a woman without their wife present and without anybody present. 
it's all innocent at first, but it starts growing to the point where all of a sudden they fall. You know, I would never steal anything. Well, what if you got into such a place that you were so bound up and so in need of that money and the opportunity looks like I could get away with it? I worked for a company where the, where the people probably did just that. They borrowed a little money from, the, from a, an account that belonged to the government. Probably put it back the first couple times and then started taking more than they could replace. And they ended up going to prison. How easy is it for us to fall? Very easy if we don't put a guard on our heart, that we don't let God rule in our life, and that we say he is our strength. It is very easy to fall. This is one of the reasons we can't judge one another when we fall. Because you know what? When somebody falls, if you were in your, their shoes, you might have fallen three years before they did. We got to be careful. We need to love one another when we fall. Not say it's okay. You know, we're sorry that you did this. Let's help you get back up. Confess to God. Turn back to God. This gets you some strength to be able to go through this in the future. Because judgment on them is just going to drive them further away. You want to make sure somebody doesn't repent and come back to God? Go out and criticize and judge them for their falling. You want to make sure that it's hard for you to come back when you fall? Let a whole bunch of people criticize and condemn you. you know, and you go, wow, I really want to go back to that church where I'm really loved there. They think I'm terrible and, and awful because I fell. We need to be very careful about the way we treat those who have fallen. Because they need love. They need acceptance that they're repentant. You know, one of the hardest things when somebody repents and truly changes their life, especially if it's been a long-term sin, happens a lot of times with people who are, who are alcoholics and they get, they get sober. Everybody's looking like, well, yeah, you, this has happened before. We're just waiting for you to fall again. You know, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, you've done this before. We know you're going to do it, and they'll end up doing it. They need to be accepted. Will they, will they fall? Well, maybe. But you know what? God's grace and mercy says, if you do, we're going to lift you back up, and we're going to bring you back in acceptance and say, Yes. Are we going to say, well, what you did is okay? No, we're not going to say what they did is okay. But we're going to say, you are still accepted. God's forgiven you. And this is with any sin that's out there. Any sin needs this attitude from us that we're going to be forgiving of them and, and walk with them with no condemnation. Romans 6, 4 tells us we're to walk in the newness of life. What is the newness of life? Any man who is born... who any man who comes to Christ is a new creation. When you are a Christian, you become a brand new creation in him. Spiritually alive. Gives you an opportunity to walk in the spirit. Changes the way you think. Can you remember things you might have done in the past that you don't even think about doing anymore because of your new life? You know, this is something that's very important. This is what I challenge us to think about. Are you the same person today as you were a year ago, two years ago, three years ago? If you are, if there's no growth in your life, then you need to examine, are you in Christ? If you're not, then you go, thank you, God, you're growing me. Are you growing as fast as somebody else? No. Are you growing faster than other people? Probably. But our job is not to compare ourselves one to another. 
Your, your infants growing up, don't look over at the baby next to them and saying, well, uh, I'm growing faster than you. you know, they just grow. You know, now, we as parents might get concerned, but the kids aren't looking at each other saying, uh, hey, I'm growing faster. You're not, you know, you're not doing this. I'm doing this. You know. But yet we look at one another and say, well, how come you haven't grown in the, you know, this area? Well, it only took God 20 years to get you there, and you're looking at the person who isn't there yet, and they're brand new in Christ. Or maybe they had a miraculous change. And you know, one thing I've learned about people who've had miraculously changed lives, they tend to be very impatient with those of us who don't grow real quick. Because they're always looking at, I changed overnight, how come you didn't? Well, because God didn't allow that. He's got something special for you, I guess. But we want to be careful how we look at one another. We're to love each other. We're to build each other up. We're to edify. We're to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We are to be fruitful. What does it mean to be fruitful? Well, first off, it means to be in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you will provide, you will produce no fruit. If you have a fruitless life, you're not attached to the vine. Which means the only thing you're really good for is being cut away and put into the fire. We cannot produce fruit unless we are engrafted into Jesus Christ, drawing our life from him. And if we're drawing our life from him, we will be fruitful. We will become more loving, more forgiving, more exhorting. We'll live less sinful lives over time. But we'll see fruit being produced. We'll get boldness to share the gospel with people and see lives being turned to him. But it says that we will be producing fruit of all good works and increasing in the knowledge of God. We talked about the knowledge of God last week. It's the same thing. How do I get the knowledge of God? I get engrafted into Jesus Christ. If I'm engrafted into him, he's feeding my spirit. My spirit grows. How do I become more like Jesus? I let him feed me. You know, what part of your life are you feeding? Are you feeding God's side with the spiritual word, the, the teachings that you're experiencing and the word of God? Or are you feeding yourself with the word, world? You know, watching television, movies, books, talking to people about things that are ungodly. If that's your complete diet, your spiritual life is going to be zero. If you're spending time in God's word, your life is going to change. And it's really critical that we understand this. We, I've talked before. We talk often about tithing our money, but we need to tithe our time. How much time do I spend with God? And that could be any aspect of God, coming to church, coming to a Bible study, reading the Bible, praying, sharing the gospel with others, being in prayer. If you could spend two and a half hours in prayer every day, that would be great. Not many people in our day and age will spend two and a half hours in prayer. We sing a hymn, Sweet Hour of Prayer. How many spend an hour in prayer? not my strong suit. You know, I spend maybe an hour over the whole day, but in one sitting, you know, 
we need to be looking at how are we spending time with God? Does he get our day? Or are we so busy? Now, it's amazing to me when somebody's young in school, they're so busy. They're going to school. They're playing sports. They've got their second job. They've got a boyfriend or girlfriend. And they don't have time for God a lot of times. Then they get into a young adult and they're so busy because they're starting their job. I've got to do good. I've got to get a promotion. I've, got, I've just started a family. I've got, you know, I've got all these things. God, I don't have time for you. Then you get into a bunch of middle age and go, oh, God, I just took this promotion. I've got so much time involved. The kids are, are in high school now. I've got to go to their sporting events. And God, you just understand, don't understand there's not enough time. And you retire, and everybody thinks they're going to have lots of time. And as everybody who's ever retired, I hear it all the time. I don't have any time. <laughs> you know, if we don't make time for God, there will be all kinds of excuses not to give him time. We have to make time for him. We have to make time to read the word of God. We need to make time to come to church. We need to make time to fellowship with other believers. Because otherwise, everything else will push it aside. And, and I understand I've been there, done that. I was working a lot of hours and had the kids in sports and still trying to do the things for God in church. But it's a priority. Where are your priorities? Is God a priority in your life enough to make time for him? Because I can guarantee if it's something important to you, you'd find time to make something happen. And the example I use is for people who are really big into sports. Uh, let's see, baseball's coming on the playoff season. You know, your favorite team is playing in the, in the big game, the World Series. <laughs> and you get tickets to the World Series. If you really love your team and it's an all-expenses-paid thing, you're going to say, I'm going. I don't care how busy you were, how, how, how much time you didn't have for everything else. It'd be, I'm going. Maybe it's the Super Bowl or the, or the Stanley Cup or you know, NASCAR Cup, whatever they call their, their thing. You know, you know, whatever is important, you'll be going, I'm going to make time for what you think is important. You'll make time. You'll find funds for something that's important. I've always wondered how cigarette smokers can afford to smoke. You know, mostly it's because it's important enough to them that they're going to make the, the finances to smoke. But it's the same thing for those who are into sports. I'm going to find the money to play this sport. I'm going to find the money to do this. I'm going to find the money to do that. If it's important to you, you'll make it happen. So my question for us today is, how important is God to you? Do you open your pocketbook to him? Do you open your time to him? Are you ready to be obedient to his word? This is the challenge we have. Are you walking worthy of the call of God as one of his children? Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love us. Lord, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you or listening on the, radio, on the inter internet, that they will come to you, that they will acknowledge that they're a sinner that they deserve punishment, that you died for their sins and rose again from the dead, and all they have to do is ask you to forgive them and come into their life, and they'll be saved. Lord, if there's anybody that hears that, we ask that you do that for them and get them into a good Bible-teaching church. Lord, for those that are of us sitting here in this church, Lord, we ask that you put us on, on your, our heart 
to give you more time, to give you more of ourselves, that we will walk worthy of the calling of Christ in every day that we do. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.